Born and raised in New York City, CQ, as he calls himself, joined the army right out of high school and went into airborne infantry. He was deployed to Iraq in 2003 and then Afghanistan in 2005. That's where he was critically wounded and shot five times. The next two years, he spent recovering in the hospital and underwent over 40 plus surgeries. He even died twice. He retired medically in 2007, and since then has been battling through the physical and mental wounds of war. He started a stand-up comedy in 2017 and launched his pop culture talk show and podcast called Pop Culture Warrior. It is really cool to get to interview a veteran who has many different disabilities, many of which who are invisible and visible. And we go into detail talking about his journey of being in war and what that's like, and then returning to civilian life and what that has been like for him having going through many surgeries, occupational therapy, physical therapy, um, relying on different devices to be able to thrive and talking about veteran homelessness and just the PTSD that comes with it, watching his friends undergo that as well. And we also talk about different organizations that have been helpful for him, such as Wounded Warrior Project and CCI, which is the Canine Companion Independent Service Dog Organization. Also, if you haven't done so, download the mobile app iAccessLife using referral code CARDEN, my name, C-A-R-D-E-N. And that is found on the Google Play Store and also the Apple App Store. And rate places on their entrance, the parking, the interior space, and give your feedback through looking the lens of a disability to create transparency and break down the barriers in the built environment. I Access Life is the mobile app. And I welcome you now to this wonderful episode with CQ, who is a disabled veteran. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Free Willing with Carden. I have CQ in the house, connecting virtually. How's it going? I'm very good. Very excited to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. And I'm really interested in hearing more about your story being a veteran and returning back into society and integrating with that, but also experiencing physical and mental obstacles along the way. So talk to me a little bit about that. So I know that's a very <laughs> open-ended question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like where do we Tell me your start? story. <laughs> uh, so I was born in... Um, <laughs> no. Um, so I, I think it, it's important to know... You know, I'm, I'm originally from New York City, and I was a senior in high school when 9-11 happened. And so that obviously had a very profound effect on me and kind of the course that my life was going to take. And so I graduated high school and immediately joined the Army. And it's through what's called the delayed entry program. So even though I, you know, it, it, it took a couple months before I was actually in, so I didn't start till about January of... 2003. And so I, I joined the army. I signed up to be an airborne infantryman, the guy that jumps out of planes and takes it to the bad guys. That's wild the idea. One. Um, sorry? I said wild one over there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to be on the front lines. I wanted to, I felt like that's where I could make the most difference. I didn't want to sit behind a desk or, or anything. I wanted to be out there doing stuff. And so 
I joined, went into basic, airborne school. Eventually, I got stationed in Italy, of all places, with the uh, 173rd Airborne Brigade. And for people that know their military history, in 2003, we were the unit that jumped into Iraq. We were part of the invasion force into Iraq. We, we largest airborne operations to, no, most recent airborne operation in combat since like Vietnam. So we jumped in. I spent about 15 months in the lovely country of Iraq fighting the bad guys, went back to Italy, trained, trained, trained for about a year. And then we were deployed against Afghanistan. And in the second combat tour, we were going to be there for a year again. And I made it six months through that deployment where uh, we were on com during combat operations. We were coming in on Blackhawks and looking for bad guys, doing the thing. And my team got ambushed. Mm. And so one of my teammates got shot first and had been shot twice through the leg. And so he was kind of, he went down and, and, and was in, out in the open and was still being fired at. And so I kind of left cover. I ran out to him, grabbed him, and dragged him back to cover. In the process of doing so, I was shot a few times. And then once I got him back to safety, I went to re-engage the enemy and, and continue the fight, and I was shot twice more. <laughs> um, and at that point, my body decided that uh, I needed to take a little nap. And I <laughs> uh, got real sleepy real fast. And um, yeah, I, I collapsed, and I'd been shot uh, through my left bicep, through my right shoulder, through my right hand, and once in the chest and once kind of in the abdomen. And so I was fortunate that the armor I was wearing protected the vital organs for the most part. Sure. But the impact of those rounds, while they didn't penetrate my armor, uh, shattered all the ribs on my left side, collapsed my lung, caused a, you know, a ton of internal bleeding. Um, and then the bullets that went through my arm and my shoulder, and my hand, obviously, did a substantial amount of damage. And so I was fortunate enough that uh, my team did what it had to do. We 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 fought back and had great air support and and fought back the enemy. And, and they were able to get me out of there, get me immediate medical aid. We had really good combat medics with us. He That's kept great. me alive long enough for us to get back to the base. I went into immediate surgery in this little mud hut in the middle of the country and. Uh, mm -hmm. They put me out for about three days. I was medically induced in a coma and did the best they could for me. Obviously, I sustained really, really bad damage. Um, From internal I, bleeding? Yeah, the internal bleeding, uh, shattered bones in both arms, shoulder, chests. Um, yeah, I was touch and go for a little bit. I actually, I died once on the... Uh, how do I say it? After that surgery, they, they transported me back to the main base in the biggest you know base in the country because obviously I wasn't going to be returning to duty anytime soon. So they sent me back to the main base and actually in transit, I actually flatlined. They were able to bring me back. Got back to the main base, was there for a couple of days. From there to Germany, where we have like a kind of a layover. There's a hospital there called um, Launchstuhl. Was there for a few days. I was way too damaged for them to do anything. They're like, this is way beyond our, our capabilities. Wow. So they stabilized me as best they could for a few days. Sent me back stateside. And to Washington, D.C., to Walter Reed Army Medical Center. When I got there, sorry, no, I got my dates. I died on, the, on that flight from, from Germany to D.C. is where I flatlined. They were able to bring me back. And then uh, I was in Walter Reed for a total of two years, about six months. Wow. I was in, in the hospital proper, like in the intensive care, 
in the orthopedics ward. I underwent 40-something surgeries, including dying once in surgery that they had to bring me back again. And so after about six months, I was held. Like Typically, I should have stayed in the hospital, but because I was ambulatory, I was able to walk around after about six months. There was just such an influx of guys getting injured and filling up the hospital that they're like, we need beds for the most critical guys. And so even though I still required surgeries, even though I still required therapy and things, they put me in like a hotel next door since I could walk. And so they're like, just walk in and out of the hospital every day for your appointments and surgeries and stuff. And you know, we need beds for other guys. So total, I was in the hospital for about two years and then eventually uh, medically retired and I've been living the the disabled veteran retiree status since since about two thousand seven. So yeah, a couple of years now. Well, thank you so much for just sharing and being so vulnerable about your injuries. And sure. you died, and you're still standing, which is amazing, reason, right? right? It's there's always a reason. I feel <laughs> like you know my personal value is. I do believe that there is a higher being who, what that is and where it is and how you see it is, is, is unique and for your own personal view, but that's definitely, you have quite the, quite the journey <laughs> <laughs> and to say the least. Yeah. Not the most traditional route to get here, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's, I wouldn't change it for anything. Yeah, of course. You know, and just uh, like, I feel like a lot of people's stories, they, if they could, do life over again, they usually say they wouldn't do it over again because yeah. it's made them who they are today. And while you were in the hospital, what was that emotional impact on you? And were you facing any mental health issues there? You know, so the, the mental health stuff, funny enough, really didn't take effect until years later. Mm. There was such a focus on the physical being, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and rightfully so, because while you could die of mental health stuff long-term, like really the physical stuff's going to kill you a lot faster. Right. So, you know, the focus was on the physical being and, and while they've gotten a lot better addressing mental health stuff, this is 2005 when I got injured, there was still not really good solid grasp of the severity of the stuff that we, we understand today. And so, in terms of like PTSD, yeah, in terms of people, okay, so on the it was it was the quiet like Mm -hmm. you know they called it like shell shock in Vietnam and things like that like it wasn't as well diagnosed it wasn't as well treated it was it was -hmm. it was that you know that just that quiet killer for many years and um and again they were just seeing such an influx of guys it was like treat treat what you can see right and and so physically they they busted their ass to get me as good as I can and and really. Even my focus was so much on okay, first staying alive, then that's a good know, priority to have. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then when I when I first got to the hospital, I even asked the doctors. I was like, "Hey, like, how bad is it? Like, what am I looking at here? Like, you know." And and army doctors don't don't mince words. They don't they don't sugarcoat anything. So he looked right at my sheet and he's uh huh uh huh uh huh. He looks at me, and goes, "Well, based on what I'm seeing, there's a eighty percent chance." you're going to lose one of your arms and a 60% chance you're going to lose both. Wow. And I was just like, wow, those aren't great odds. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. And uh, I, I just, so that's where my, my mental focus was, was what can I do 
to improve those odds? What can I do to, you know, keep my arms and things? And, and over the course of those months, many months, it was first is like, okay, your arms are looking better. And, and it was really a lot of it was out of my control, right? It's how good the surgery takes, you know, how good yeah. the, the therapy takes, how well your body just naturally heals mm-hmm. all this, you know, plays into effect. So there's, they, they couldn't really promise anything, but I had some great surgeons. I had some great doctors. I had some great nurses, great therapists. And just a will to like, if they told me do one hour of physical therapy, I was doing three to six hours of physical therapy a day because I just wanted to do what I, what I had control over. And so, you know, originally the prognosis was, okay, now only one arm is in jeopardy. Okay, both arms are fine. But the extent of the nerve damage is such that you'll never be able to use your hands again. So they even recommended, once they told me, okay, your arms are in the clear, like, but we'd recommend you amputate electively so that you can get a jump start on using, you know, the, the claw stuff mm. uh, because that's where you're headed and you're going to have a better quality of life if you have that versus just two stumps that don't do anything. Mm. And I was like, ah, let's, let's hold off on that. Since it's elective and I could do that at any Since point, it's let's, elective. let's wait a little while. Um, and so, you know, they monitored it because when you have arms that are, that are so damaged, they, I mean, they can get all types of, you know, rot and... and mm. And disease and infections and things like that. So I was just very fortunate. I had a couple scares, but again, just kept fighting, kept fighting, kept fighting. And uh, little by little, it, it looked better. At one point, I had really good use of my arms and my hands. I was starting to, to to regain kind of you know use and function. But then I got a really bad infection in my arm, and they had to reopen it up and do things. And then that, like, they kind of severed a nerve that was kind of important. And so I'd lost the ability to use my hands again, and it was a whole thing. And, uh, and yeah, just a lot of therapy, a lot of um, occupational therapy, physical therapy. And I've, I've been able to get, you know, somewhat use of kind of the hands. Yeah, your dexterity uh, is You know, good. They're, not, they're not great. They're not perfect. But I can still play video games, which, was, which is a big concern for me early sure. on. It was like, can I still play video games? And, you know, I'm not going to be playing piano or guitar anytime. Or I used to, I used to uh, do magic as a kid. So I okay. could do all these crazy shuffles and like slide a hand that's not really in my wheelhouse anymore but um but you know you you I, i'm sure you understand you you revel you in the things you can adapt. do yeah you, you know you you learn to adapt mm-hmm. and 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 be happy with what you have and 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 make the best of it and that's what we do right and i think so many people ask me and i'll ask the same question to you is how do you persevere through it all and how do you just continue to have that mindset. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's. I don't you know. Just it, have it, to. Yeah, that's what it's, my my answer is just like, what's your other alternative? Right. Like, exactly. Just lay down and just wait to die. Like, just like okay, any minute. Die now. again, the third time <laughs> yeah, for you. I tell people, I plan on making the next one stick. I'm not doing this again. So, you know, third time's the charm. I'm done. I, I quit after that. Um, I really shouldn't be here if I if I if I can do this, keep doing this. Um, no, you know, it's it's just yeah, it's I I you know I I went like everybody else. I went through a period of why me. Yeah. I went through a period of you know this mm-hmm. isn't fair. Mm-hmm. You know, some survivor's guilt. Uh, you know, we lost we lost a lot of good guys and 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 you know uh, some some you know guys were like I don't know can I can I curse on this or do I have to censor myself? You can curse on this. <laughs> <laughs> I just you know, there's there's guys in the military. They're, they're like, okay, this is an asshole. Like, why why not him? <laughs> why not him? He's sure. horrible. Okay. But, <laughs> you know, things like that. Uh, no, it's just, 
I, I just, I, I, I came to accept it's the reality. It's, it's what we're faced. You can whine and cry and complain and all that, but it's, it's not going to change anything. And so if I can have, and, and again, this was not an overnight epiphany. This took years of like sure. counseling and therapy and, 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 you know, putting good people around me and not having toxic people in toxic environments. And, but I've now mastered years later, the idea that, you know, I can control only the things I can control. I can, mm-hmm. I can, I can choose, you know, what I want to be happy about and what I want to enjoy you know, and surround myself with good people and things like that. And that, and that to me, that's worth more than just a little more hand dexterity or an extra finger or, or right. you know, a back that doesn't go out every couple months and, and, you know, all the things that I got to deal with. Sure. And I actually do want to dive a little bit into that. And because you kind of have two parts, right? Invisible mm-hmm. disabilities. Yeah. I remember when we first scheduled this, you emailed me and was like, you know, I was having back spasms. I, mm-hmm. I can't do the podcast today. Yeah, that was bad. And you went and you went to the hospital, right? Mm-hmm. For that. Yeah. And obviously, uh, you showed me that you're missing a finger. So that is a visible aspect of it. And then yeah. even the dexterity is not really noticeable unless you tell someone and like someone's really looking at it. So you kind of have a lot of different combinations of visible and invisible disabilities. How do you, how does the world see those or don't see them? And how do they feel about them? You're absolutely right. I'm, I'm one of the fortunate few that, you know, when, you know, as a disabled veteran and, and, you know, you get your paperwork and, you'll get a percentage, right? They'll say like, you're 10% disabled, you're 30% disabled. Oh, I'm wow. one of those they few people you. that my paperwork that. says it's a, I'm 100% disabled based on my injuries and the extremities and the, because I mean, they, they rate everything from like loss of extremities, loss of range of motion, loss of strength, loss of blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of re- ways that they categorize what's, what your rating is. I'm one of the few guys that would be at 100%, that is at 100%. But if you looked at me fully clothed, I look fine. Right. You know, and it's, it's a very, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword, I think, sometimes. Because while I can understand, you know, I have friends that burns all over their face, missing their ears, missing an arm, missing a leg, crazy prosthetics and crazy equipment that they need to have. And you can obviously see that they're treated differently. You can see that they're reacted to differently and people stare and like, you can see that. And I can understand how hurtful it is and how difficult it is. And and I know guys that have difficulty, you know, interacting with the world. And I don't, I don't get those looks. I don't get that treatment. I don't get Mm -hmm. that in a a good way. I mean, like, like obviously I'm treated like I'm a normal, like everyone should be treated. But at the same time, then I'm also the guy, you know, we have events for disabled veterans. Hey, let's, let's get together. Let's go do something. And, and then it's, Everyone else is like, okay, yeah, I get why you're here. I get why you're here. I get, they're like, they look at me like, what are you doing here? And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, so because I don't look that way, I'm, I'm immediately kind of, I once, this so is even in your own community. Yeah. yeah it people happens. don't see that you're disabled. It, it happens. I, I once, um, so there was, you know, and we're skipping a lot of stuff, but I, I want, there was a time in my life where I wasn't working. I wasn't doing anything. I was kind of just trying to get my head back screwed on straight and, you know, I would I would get with other organizations that that helped out disabled veterans so that I could be around people like me because I didn't know anyone like me. And so I signed up to do this one event 
And they wrote me back and they said, like, yeah, sorry, this isn't this isn't for guys like you. And I said, Well, it says here it's you know for disabled veterans and everything. Like, yeah, you know, we only cater to guys that have amputations. I was like, wow, that's such a weird specific thing that I got shot five times and died, but I'm not disabled enough for you because I didn't have a I didn't lose a foot. Wow. You know, I like I I know there's no obviously conversation. I have no judgment over anybody. Nobody's better than or worse than anybody else. But you know, I know guys that you know lost a foot or lost below their knee and they 30% disabled, 40% disabled. I'm a guy that's a hundred percent disabled, rated by the government. <laughs> and I'm for them, and I and I, I kind of get it because as an organization, you have donor dollars and what looks sexier, me or the guy missing a leg? That's it's obvious. You can see it. And so for those organizations, they want to like, look, we're using the money on disabled veterans. And if I show them a picture of me, they're gonna be like, bullshit. That that guy's not a disabled <laughs> you just veteran. Show your finger. <laughs> yeah. Like I gotta be like, hey guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I, I get it. I you know, but it, you know, appearances are appearances can be deceiving. Like I get it. But yeah, sometimes it does. You know, feel like oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not normal enough to be a normal person, and I'm not disabled looking enough to be a disabled person. I get to be wow. right in the middle, and I get to be one of like neither world kind of, and then and then you know add on all the, the mental stuff that that we go through, and yeah, uh, it can be tough. It can be tough. Wow, you're not disabled enough, CQ. Sorry, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm on the wrong podcast. I gotta go. I, this is I'm not nearly not nearly enough. <laughs> this show won't go live. You're not disabled enough. <laughs> <laughs> See, you get it. You understand. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think that's just. I was in a disability training today, which was absolutely incredible. It was one that I've never experienced before. It was led by two black people who are disabled, and the reason I preface the fact that it's led by black people is because there's just such a lack of representation mm-hmm. for disabilities other than white people yeah, and also and disabilities that, you know, you're not disabled enough kind of thing. And, you know, things like autism and a lot of other invis- invisible disabilities that you can't see with the eye, sure. people check you and they're like, wait, do you have a medical card? Can you prove it to me? And it's like, how can I prove that I have cysts on my brains? Or how can I prove to you that I have nerve damage and I have back spasms? Like, do you you need evidence? Right. Yeah, I have to carry around my disabled veteran card. (laughs) You know, no, I I have, I I help run a a disabled veteran support group uh, locally. And, you know, we have guys that are like me, physical injuries, mental injuries, but we have guys that, while serving, develop brain cancer. And we welcome them. I mean, that because you weren't combat wounded and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, I don't care. Like, you're going through something and you need people to be around you and to understand you. And we're here for you. You know, we have guys who uh, uh, had, um, I don't know, it was like back issues. And we've, we've had guys with like non-combat disabilities. We even have MST survivors, which is military sexual trauma. And I, mm. the way I look at it is that's, that is traumatic. That's trauma. That is, that is a disability. That's something you're dealing with post-military. So you're welcome to, you know, to the group. And so we don't categorize who's wounded enough or wounded, you know, or, or how they were wounded or why they were wounded. And I don't care if it's a guy that fell off a truck in a training exercise or a guy that was dragging another guy through combat. It doesn't matter. 
You know, we're, we're all just trying to find our place in this world and yeah. be in a place that accepts us and understands us. And that's what, that's what we do when we meet. I think the world oftentimes views disabilities through kind of like this charity and tragedy model. Do you see that? And, and so as to preface what that means, for those who aren't aware, it, the charity model being all people with disabilities need help, they're helpless, they feel pity for them, and you almost have this inspiration porn. You know, <laughs> helping people with disabilities earns you a gold star and a gold medal. I saw there was a, a video. It was a news piece where there was a boy with autism who was very fascinated by stalking the grocery orange juices and <laughs> an employee stopped and took the time and, you know, allowed this customer to help him stock the orange juice because he was so fascinated by it. And it went viral. Mm. And the news and media are all like, wow, look how amazing this story is. And this person was such a nice human being. It's like if we were to take autism and also the the boy was was nonverbal. Mm. So if you were to take that out and the disability out, would this still be newsworthy? Right. And the answer is no, it's not yeah. going to be newsworthy. Some because dude helps some kid. Right. News at, news at 11. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Cares. So is that really newsworthy? No, it's not. And so that's kind of the charity model and deserving pity and, oh, gold star. And here's a full ride scholarship because you help people with disabilities. Yeah. And then that medical model of you know, the disability needs to be cured. Like for me, I have muscular dystrophy. And so a lot of organizations when I was growing up were very, um, you have to find a cure because this is the worst thing that can happen to them. Mm. And so a lot of them have shifted their language now because that's yeah, that's not really reality. It's a little insulting to the person yeah, dealing with it. It really is. Like, look but, at this pathetic person who who will never live a normal life and really deserves all your pity. And like, God damn it, I'm right here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, say that to my face. Um, but I, I'm interested in hearing, you know, with those veteran, disabled veteran groups and organizations, is it common to see, I mean, you kind of talked about one of them, you're not disabled enough, but is that common in all these other groups that you see for disabled veterans or are they actually there to help support you and put you back on your feet? It's, it's. I mean, I'm going to speak very honestly now. And okay. there's some great organizations out there that just as I'm sure with with the disability community, there's some really great organizations that really wants what's best and really want to help and really want to put the time and effort and not just placate, not just, you know, make a story, not just rate, you know, they want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Now I can see too, part of that is there is a fundraising aspect, right? Because if they don't have money, they can't do it. So there has to be a fundraising and you have to be honest about who's going to donate money to come on, like they need help or Look at this poor person and they're dying. And but like you I get it from a, a business perspective. They're they're selling out in a way to but to get the money to do the right thing. And I, and I, so I respect that. I understand that. There are some organizations that I feel are A, you have the groups that are are not in it for the right reasons. And it's just, and this was really popular from like 2007 to like 2013. We had thousands of these pop up we support the veteran organizations and we're you know this for the troops and and dog tags for heroes and soldiers for rides and this and all these different 
groups that just popped up overnight and were collecting money. And who knows where that money went? It was just an easy way to to garner funds and things. Yeah. Um, and there's a few organizations even out today that you know I've I've spent time with and I, and I see how they kind of run and and you see like you mm. talk a big game, but behind the scenes, you know how how are you really helping people? How are you really allocating those funds? You know, are you putting yourselves above and beyond those people? Are you, are you, you know, using those people to get to your, the platform you want to be at or whatever it is. And then there's just some organizations that, uh, that like we, we talked about with the, with the, you're not disabled enough where you might be doing the right thing, but they're so exclusive. Like I literally know of an organization that will only help you if you were wounded in a specific country during a specific time frame. And it's like, and that's like, okay, that's great for the people that like, that's, I mean, I get, I get it that there has to be some sort of boundaries, right? If you, if you had an organization trying to cure Parkinson's, well, then you can't be helping other people that don't have Parkinson's because then that's, that's outside of your scope. Right. But there's also like, man, that's a very tight, tight scope for like, like how many people are you going to help? Like 10 people? Like there's. Mm-hmm. You know that that was just so specific, and then you know the other one that is only for you know uh, uh, amputees. And I I've seen you know where other organizations where like if you don't have a wheelchair, then we're not mm-hmm. going to help you. And and I and I get it; those people do need help. Fortunately for veterans, and and what I feel is a disadvantage for those that have physical disabilities not of the military variety. You know, there's a plethora. Of veteran organizations, there's hundreds of sure. Google veteran organization, and it's just yeah. like psh, a billion of them. Where I can understand someone who, let's say, again, Parkinson's, just the ones that jump off my head, but there may be three, four, five, maybe in the country, you know, sure. that can help them. And so, as veterans, I guess you know, being that you know we're dis- disabled or injured in combat or wounded or however you want to put it, it's nice to have options i guess is the best word to put it but but i can understand where that's not it's not the case for everybody mm. and that's sad are there examples of organizations that you do like that you would oh, yeah. be comfortable sharing the yeah, names abso- of it absolutely absolutely um there's some very small ones that are are kind of region specific or local in certain areas i've been fortunate that i've bounced around a lot over the years but there's very small ones that are very you know regional specific that to me, a good organization is one that it's not going to give you money, right? Because there, there are organizations like, hey, you're down on your luck. We'll provide you, you know, you lost your job. We'll cover you your rent for two months or something like that. And mm-hmm. that's great. That's an awesome thing that they can do. I don't think that that's a, that's a Band-Aid. That's not a fix. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't fix the problem. And so a great organization, and, and this is probably the most widely recognized one, national one, Wounded Warrior Project. Wounded Warrior Project is a great organization yeah. that really, it's it's not about like well, there's a the, the term like we're not giving you a handout, we're giving you a hand up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's about the whole model is built on empower. So they do like, you know, resume writing. They do how to cook cool. healthy. Like they do free everything's free for the for the registered you know we call them alumni for the registered alumni. Everything is free. Nothing. They don't. They don't. There's no dues. There's no membership fees. Nothing. It's all free, and they're just trying to help, you know, 
establish and raise like the best generation of disabled veterans this country's ever seen, which is, which is an awesome thing. It's a big challenge, but they yeah. provide a lot of really cool services. And so if you're a disabled veteran, if you know someone who's a disabled veteran, I highly recommend. It costs nothing. It's free to <laughs> sign up. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a great program. And there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them. Like, you know, locally, I'm in the Maryland area now. You know, we have ASAP, it's Armed Services Arts Partnership. It's a great program that, again, I love organizations that teach skills and, and teach yeah. how to improve your life and, and empower your life. They teach arts. So they teach, you know, painting, they teach stained glass, they teach all these different arts. And they even do written word, poetry. Uh, they do a stand-up comedy class, like all these things that are really cool. And that's how I got into comedy. I started doing comedy for a while. Oh, nice. And so that's a great program that's going to teach someone a skill that will better their life. And it's not about... And the cool thing about that one is that one's not specifically for disabled veterans. That's just open to any veteran, family member, whatever. Mm-hmm. Again, free. So that's, that's always a plus. But yeah, there's, there's some really great organizations. I highly recommend if, if there are veterans that listen and, and want to know more, like you can easily Google like disabled veteran organizations or, or you know, near me or things like that. Because there's some really good local ones and there's a few really good national ones. And, and again, we're, we're blessed that there's so many that they can even be a little niche. There's a great organization that does video games for veterans. Like it, it takes <laughs> veterans and, you know, hex them up with, with, with video games and, and takes them to, to different events and things like that. And so, you know, we're, we're fortunate that way. So, um, yeah. That's wonderful hearing about the Wounded Warrior Project. I've heard of them and our company has volunteered with them a number of times. So that's awesome. That's great to hear that you veteran approved. Hashtag. Yes. Yes. I know <laughs> me and a lot of guys can, can attest. And I know there was a there was a year that they had some bad press because of like inappropriate spending, or whatever. And the news loves to go the go, the news loves to kind of like push all that stuff out. And then do a small retraction later because uh-huh. an independent audit was done. Nothing was was out of the ordinary. Okay. Um, but since then, they've even like doubled down on like being very responsible um, sure. with yeah, like donor dollars and stuff. But but yeah, no, they they uh, they're a great organization. I've I've been a part of them since like 2009, and to see them grow mm-hmm. and offer more and more programs and services has been pretty cool. So. And programs and services to help elevate you, to empower you. That's okay. their mission. And because I, when you when you go to combat and then return home, your life, I'm sure, is totally different. I mean, what you are doing in combat, how do you translate that into a corporate world or <laughs> into a regular job or yeah. you know, all those skills that you've learned in combat don't necessarily translate over correctly into you know, an admin skill that you can be hired in the corporate world. And so I've listened to a number of talks, especially with disabled veterans, that those don't translate over well. And it's almost, it's an issue because you may have been, I mean, I don't know all the technical terms, but like submarine mechanic, one, two, three, four, something. Yeah. But it's like, how does that translate to being an account executive at a sales company, right? It's, It's true. Like there's, you make a great point because there's, you know, if you're a mechanic, there's some skill to it. You know, if you're a cook, there's some skill. You're in legal. There's some, even administrative, there's some kind of way to make it work. 
But a guy like me who was airborne infantry, my, mm-hmm. my top two skills are jump out of a plane and survive <laughs> and shoot bad guys. There's not a lot of places I can apply those skills to in the civilian sector. And a lot of, you see a lot of infantry guys come out and mm-hmm. become bodyguards, become oh, bouncers, okay. become, they try to get into the police force, but that's actually pretty tough. If you don't have an education, you know, they go, mm-hmm. they end up like mall security. Or, or building security. They end up, I know a lot of guys that end up in construction just because it's, it's, they, they can bust their back. That's what they've done for years. And so yeah. um, it's, it's, a, it's a real problem. It's a real problem. And I, and I know a lot of co- corporations have, have tried hard to secure veterans and, and they do, and they, they do a good job. Fortunately, a lot of times it's, it's that captain who was college educated and, mm-hmm. you know, they're the ones that get recruited, not the guy that was humping 50 pound rucksacks up and down mountains. Uh, getting shot at because I don't have transferable skills. And so mm-hmm. I actually, I was very fortunate that that was me. That was me for many years. And when I got to a point where I was mentally set and physically set and wanted to kind of get back into the workforce through the VA, the, the Veterans Administration, there was, uh, I was able to get part in this training program where they were specifically looking for disabled veterans with little to no education to train them to do, uh, I got into the IT field. Mm-hmm. And and I I liked computers, but I didn't know anything about software and 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 engineering and all these things. And so they trained me for three years, and um, and then when I done the training, they offered me a job in in the VA. Nice. So very fortunate. But yeah, that's I'm one out of you know how many hundred thousand that come out and have no idea what they're gonna do. Sure. And so I was lucky enough to get a good job, and and now I work for the government and things like that. And you know, it's 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 not the case for everyone. Uh, in my position. Right. And also thinking about the financial impact as you return back into society. I know there's typically a high homeless population for veterans. It's huge. And then getting back on your feet, how is that for not only you're coming back from combat, you're going through all of this rehab and then you have your mental health issues set on and you're also trying to get a job and make a living and put food on your table. What is that financial burden like? Yeah, it's not easy because as much as I'd love to say that, oh, I, I was medically retired, so I'm living off this retirement and, and like, yeah, I could probably maybe pay rent for a small place and eat with that money. There's not much else I could do with it. And as a, I think I was 23 when I retired, but as a 23 year old, you're like, mm-hmm. well, I guess this is the rest of my life. Just pay rent and eat. And like, I just sure. won't get to do anything else. And it's, it's a hard thing to live with, you know, cause even for those that don't know, like even as a hundred percent disabled person, I was only, I mean, I served six years. I was a sergeant in the army. That's not a very high rank. It's okay for six years, but so you take your pay, and even though I'm 100% disabled, part of your medical retirement is you can only make, I think, maximum 70 to 75% of what you were making. So wow. I'm now living on 70 to 75% of what I was making as an active service member at a pretty low rank <laughs> as mm-hmm. a sergeant. And you know, even when I was in the military, I was eating free at the chow hall. I was getting a right. stipend for clothes. I wasn't paying rent because I was living in the barracks. So that money gets stretched a lot thinner. And mm-hmm. so like my wife had to work, you know, the first couple of years she took care of me, but it got to a point where like, if we want things at all, we're going to need more money coming in. And so she went back to work 
while I stayed home for many years trying to just, you know, get pick up the pieces. And, and you know, we, we did okay. We did okay. There, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, you know, when my wife was taking care of me, she wasn't working. You know, the VA had a program that would pay, pay for caregivers. Mm-hmm. So instead of, you know, me hiring someone to help me out, they basically paid my wife to do it. So that way she could be with me. She didn't have to worry about working and she could focus on me. And so we got that little bit of money. And, you know, social security and things like that. There's programs to help people in need. And with all that, we were able to just scrape up enough. Got a, we got a small house and, you know, oh. just live comfortably in it. And, it, you know, after many years, it was like, you know, or she went back to work. And so you, you give up some of the, you know, like the caregiver and things like that because she went back to work to, to try to make more money mm-hmm. so that we could live better. Like that's the idea, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we didn't, we decided not to have kids because, like, I didn't want to worry about, uh, uh, like, okay, that, uh, that's a mouth to feed. Like, uh, how are we going to make ends meet? And, and, you know, we were just doing bar- barely good enough for us. And so she started working again and tried to make a little more. And then, again, it got to a point where I was like, okay, maybe I can contribute too. And, and we tried it out and, and it's, been, it's been okay. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's not easy. It's taken years to get into a good position. And then now we have our son because I felt like, okay, we can actually afford oh, a child. Yeah, um, how great. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it hasn't been easy. But you make it work. Right. Every day. You just keep chipping at it. And for you, you have gotten really into comedy. So what point were you thinking that was what you were going to do? It's you were funny. trying to figure out what you were going to do. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's funny how I kind of got into it. Because, you know, I started working again and, and did was working for two or three years, four years maybe. And I was still still struggling. It's still, it's still every day's a battle and still deal with depression, still deal with anxiety, social anxiety, real bad, where I, I, I have trouble with crowds and being around people I don't know and, and having to We speak. don't have to worry about crowds now because of COVID. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, is, this pandemic is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I have been the happiest I've been in like 13 years. Um, it's been like, phenomenal. don't have to touch anyone, don't have to shake anyone's hands it's with my right so hand. Awesome. I don't have to deal with anybody at all. It's great. Um, but. Yeah, I got to a point where I was just, I was doing okay, but I was still kind of, you know, in a bubble. I was still kind of closed off and still, you know, having my own things. And I found out about that program, the program that teaches veterans to do stand-up comedy. And, and it was just in my head, I thought, okay, here's a way to, you know, bust out of my bubble. Here's a way to, to challenge myself. Here's a way to push myself outside my, my comfort zone. And it's a six-week class once a week. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say I did it. I'm going to cross it off the bucket list. I did that. And then, and hopefully it helps me feel more comfortable in crowds and things like that. And, and what happened was, is that when I did it, I really had fun. I, I was, fun. It was with other cool. veterans, which is my favorite place to be, is around mm-hmm. other veterans. And it was just so uplifting because even though, you know, stand-up comedy is a very singular thing, it's a very solo sport, mm-hmm. but we were kind of doing it together as a group. And it was so much fun just making each other laugh and you know, writing material. And I fell in love with the, the process of how do I, I take my world? Because, you know, some people just write jokes. I, I tend to be a storyteller. I tend to be take real life and mm-hmm. put a fun spin on it. And so the joy of taking all the things that I've been through, right? How I grew up my injuries, living as a disabled veteran. I have a lot of jokes about that. <laughs> and 
you know, how can I put that in a humorous, you know, funny spin? How can I make the audience comfortable laughing at my misfortune, at my disabilities right. and my injuries? Oh, <laughs> um, well, that's I, a lot of common comedians do. Yeah. Self-deprecations are a huge part of comedy. And so mm-hmm. that I had so much fun doing. And then in the last week, you do like a little mini performance for family and friends. And I just got such a thrill making people laugh. And, and, and like, don't get me wrong. Like I was a stress, ball of stress mess right before <laughs> going on stage. And I, like, I was, I, I swear to God, I stepped on stage and I went, oh my God, I can't remember a single joke. And like, it took me a second to kind of like catch my brain and catch mm-hmm. up. But, but I, once I was doing it, it was so much fun. I, I kind of caught the comedy bug, as they say. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I started going to open mics and doing festivals and entering competitions and doing all that stuff. And I had a really, really good time with it. And it, and it, it took me, it was, it was a couple of years I did it. And it, was, it took me to where I'm at now, doing the other thing. But it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it was great. I still love it. I still love doing comedy. Well, give us a few self-deprecating liners. Oh man! The, the number one rule: never ask a comedian to tell jokes. Uh, it's a, it's a, if you want to see my comedy, Google YouTube it. me. I'm, yeah. I have clips online. I have it. It's just you know. I, again, I'm a storyteller, so like yeah, every, it, I'm a, I'll it be flows. on a five six minute tangent trying to tell a joke because mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it's comedy based. But I will tell you if you find my clips on, I talk about how um, you know I one time in the military. This is a true story. I I filled a Humvee with, uh, you know, it runs on diesel and I filled it with water <laughs> instead of, instead of diesel gas instead of, yeah. And, and, on and purpose? A whole, uh, it was accidentally, accidentally. Oh, okay. um, the, 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 the joke is one story. It's a very exaggerated version of the story. The true story is I just, I was very new and um, <laughs> I mixed up the cans one, you know, these, these big jugs, one was a gas jug and one was a water jug and I, I mixed them up and, and it went in, but there's a very humorous version of that story that I tell in my set and um, <laughs> things like that. And it, it, it's just How a lot of fun. How do you even get it out? How do you drain yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, it was a, there was, that was a... a flooding the engine. Good job. <laughs> yeah, I did. I got into a lot of trouble. They had to, they had to bring a helicopter in to, to get that truck out of there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's only like a couple million dollars. It's not that big. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, wow. Um, and then kind of a last question. What are some of the accommodations, if any, whether that be tools, things in your house that you use to help you? And if you were to go into a work environment, what are, would be some of those accommodations that you ask for? Sure. So early on, even right now, my back is killing me. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still recovering from the back thing. So sorry if I keep mm-hmm. fidgeting. Um, uh, very early on, I've, so how do I phrase this? I've had, since being medically retired in 2007, I've still had about 10 to 15 surgeries since then. Uh, every time trying to make things a little bit easier for me. But very early on, as I was released, my hands were very limited dexterity and, and things. And so things like buttons, zippers, clasps were impossible. I had my wife help me a lot with a lot of things. And I was, as I was learning to be more independent, I don't, I don't know the names of these things, but like physical therapy and occupational therapy people would, would give me stuff. But like to start out, I had um, utensils that were like super thick. Mm. So instead of a thin, you know, it was like, it's almost like holding a, a, a comb, like a, like a hairbrush. 
Hmm. But it was a fork, you know, and a spoon and a knife. And so that made it easier for me to hold utensils, to do buttons, things like buttons. I had this, I don't know. Yeah, Velcro? I I did Velcro for a while. So like for shoes for a while, I did the elastic laces. Okay. So that Mm -hmm. I could could just slide my feet into uh, any shoe or did a lot of sandals, did a lot of uh, slip-ons and things like that. Sure. You know, I was a sneakerhead growing up, so I still liked having sneakers, but I couldn't tie laces. So I'd had the... Elastic laces, so you could just tie it oh, nice. and slip yeah, it on. Yeah. That was a good one. For buttons, there was this device that's like a little handle, this little metal hook. You would slide it through the hole, hook the button, and then pull it through. Oh, neat! I and need so that one way you didn't have to, you know, use your your finger dexterity to do that. Same thing for like a zipper, a little hook thing. Um, oh. I've had I've had back braces. I've had hand braces. So like for a long time, I couldn't bend my fingers very well. Mm-hmm. So I had these like, there was almost like little springs that you would put on each finger that is constantly like I could squeeze down, but I couldn't open up. And so like I would squeeze down and it opens up. And so that's how I would work my hands. Oh, cool. And, um, yeah, lot, lots of little things. I had a TENS unit for all the nerve damage. Uh, TENS oh, unit little electrodes you put on and they stimulate oh, okay. the nerves and it helps with, uh, I mean, it helps with blood flow and muscles and uh, nerve damage, nerve pain. So I used that for years and years and years. Lots of medication. Lots of medication. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had, I have a service dog. I have a service dog for, for when things. Oh, okay. Yeah, when I was first, which, walking around somewhere. He's <laughs> looking, probably playing with my son. Um, <laughs> you know, when I, when I first, it was great when my wife was taking care of me. I didn't really need a lot. But when she started getting back to work, and when I considered getting back into work, I was very worried about being on my own. And so there was a great organization that, that trained a service dog and gave me a service dog and was able to help me interact with the world. He could open up oh, doors, wonderful. close doors, you know, yeah. uh, alert things and, and kind of give me a bit of help with the anxiety and things like that. And so there's that. I mean, yeah, I've, I mean, I've had slings and splints and <laughs> it, I've run the gamut of just about every, every device you can think of short of like a walker and a, and a wheelchair, basically. I always like asking people because I learned so many new devices that I never knew about. And I'm like, wow, that's so cool. When on a previous podcast, uh, someone who uh, has, who has strokes Mm. and he often sometimes will have issues opening cans and stuff and they'll Mm -hmm. knock them over a lot. And so he got this uh, kind of like grippy surface material that I forget the name of it, but I got it on Amazon. And it's great because it's yeah. like a no-slip resistant and yeah. it, it makes things easier. It's just like those tiny little things. So Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's lo- tons of them. There's tons of them. I mean, um, you know, uh, yeah. I, get, I, I spent so much time at Walter Reed in the Army Medical Center that seeing so many different disabilities, mm-hmm. everybody kind of needed something different. And so I've seen everything from prosthetic ears to oh, um, I have a buddy I of mine. I didn't know that took, existed. Yeah, yeah. So basically, if if you got burned bad enough, you know, this is all cartilage. And right. so I knew a guy who had gotten burned all the way around his face, and so this his ear is just it's a hole because all this melted away. Wow. Uh-huh. And so they have a little. It's I hate we joke because we're allowed to joke like this, but we call him like Mister Potato Head because <laughs> you put the ear right in the hole, and oh, interesting. Boom, he's got an ear. 
It was um, potato head. So yeah, things like that. Uh, but it's functional, so he does. So people don't stare, and it's really sad yeah. that you sometimes have to do what you got to do to look quote normal in society. Absolutely, absolutely. I have a buddy of mine who took shrapnel in his in his rear and mm-hmm. and leg, and and what it causes is I don't know the medical term. We call it foot drop, right? Because yep. so he can't flex his foot. It just dorsiflexion. There yeah. you go. And so he has a device that basically is a, a solid metal platform that he puts his leg on and it straps to his leg. And again, if he wore long pants, wouldn't tell he's disabled in any way. Yeah, the calf AFOs. Yeah. You know, you put I you used put to him, wear those because yeah. uh, when I was before I was using a wheelchair, I was walking and but I was stripping all the time. And yeah. I wore those braces for about four and a half years. Yeah. And great. I could yeah. still walk. Exactly. It works. And and he has the real fancy, it's like carbon fiber and it has mm-hmm. flexing and, and, you know, does all this yeah. stuff and, and, um, and it works for him. You know, he, at any point, cause, cause really the below the knee, his legs dead. Like mm-hmm. you, you see it and it, you're like, yeah, okay. I see, I see why you need the device. And, yeah. um, and, and, you know, I've always told him, I was like, you know, like if it was me, like I would just get it amputated and, and put a, put a, you know, cause especially no, no offense to anyone with disabilities. But the guys with leg amputations, like they got it made. <laughs> they got legs for everything. It is incredible. <laughs> I know guys with There's a lot of bionic legs. Yeah, they got swimming legs, running legs. <laughs> I know a guy who goes snowboarding and has it, it is specially built pistons in the wow. leg so that he can like dip and flex and do all those snowboarding moves just like anybody else. That's amazing. Yeah. And and here I am. I'm like, if I lose my arms, I get the little robot clamp. And that's it. <laughs> like that's my choices. You know? So I was just I'm always I've always given crap to the guys with like, you know, missing legs. Cause I'm like, you guys got it made, man. I don't want to hear no complaints. You guys get it good. If you were to go back, you would ask to be shot in the legs. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I would I would take I would take a leg. Over uh, nerve damage and and you know limited range of motion, limited mm-hmm. strength. You know sure. I can't do a pu- for a guy. I was in airborne and like we prided ourselves on pull ups. I can't do a single pull up, not because mm-hmm. I'm weak, but because I have no muscle or bone going over my shoulders. So I can mm-hmm. literally can't couldn't lift five pounds. Yeah. So you know I, I would take use that a lot more than like I mean I don't I don't go running very often so. mm-hmm. <laughs> not till I stop getting paid to do it I don't run very often um and so uh uh yeah I would take I would take a, a lost leg any day <laughs> it sounds horrible but like when we were in the hospital for months and months and months and years and years like we had nothing to do but just kind of like and that's a military humor thing I think mm-hmm. and, and and possibly people with disabilities I've seen it where you just you kind of start to get a, a dark sense of humor, you know, yeah. a very dry sense of humor. And oh, yes. So we used to we used to bust on each other. We used to say how like, oh, I've got it way worse than you. And like, that's, <laughs> that's how we would laugh. The hierarchy. It. Yeah, you know. and, and <laughs> Who's you know, more disabled? <laughs> exactly. Because like, what else were we going to do? We're sitting in the cafeteria mm-hmm. and we would just play who, who's got it worse, you know. <laughs> and we would just complain and, and do it because that's, you know, that's what you do. But um we did it out of love and, and you know, it, it's, it's not easy. It's, you know, I learned in the military, man, you get put into extraordinary circumstances and you can laugh about it or you can cry about it. Yeah. That's about it. So I always choose to laugh about it. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Anything else that you want to share with us? Where can we find you? Oh, 
yeah. Um, no, I mean, <laughs> I hate, I'm not the self-promoting kind of guy, but I do have like a pop culture podcast slash live show slash talk show slash variety <laughs> show. Like it's, it's a little bit of everything, but um, if you look, look up pop culture warrior or WTF nation radio, it's a great show. It's a lot of fun. We, you know, we talk about movies and video games and comic books and toys. I have celebrity guests on an interview and it's a lot of cool. fun. It's Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern. And yeah, that's, that's my new, that kind of, because of COVID, that kind of took away my, my comedy. This is my new outlet and it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I'm nice. enjoying it. You got to make do. Yeah. Yeah. And as you can see my, my background, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big nerd. <laughs> big <geek. laughs> I love I love Marvel stuff and video. Yeah, games. I was gonna say this is Marvel stuff yeah, over yeah. there. I got cool. Tony Hawk, the Tony Stark, yeah, Iron Man helmet, yeah. and the Captain America shield, and Infinity Gauntlet. I got all the collectibles and it's fun. Oh, cool! That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, CQ. I really appreciate your time and just being so transparent and open about your journey and who you are. And thank you so much. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for doing what you're doing because. Uh, you know, this is information that people need to know. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're just normal people. And, uh, you know, it's, um, I'm happy you're doing this. It's pretty Thank cool. you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Thanks. Thank you, friends, for listening. Please rate and follow this podcast or text Carden at 470-588-1215 with comments and suggestions. Tune in next week for another disability topic.